Well, thanks to uh, the folk who've uh, chosen our songs today and led us in our praise and prayer. Uh, each week I come along and it's lovely to see how things have uh, fitted together in a way that blesses my heart. Uh, just a sense that God is behind all that has been prepared and all that's said and done. Uh, so good to be back with you again today. Um, you'll be really delighted to know you have uh, a couple of weeks free of me now. Um, for you have to come back mid-November to have the final instalment from me on Ruth. Uh, I'll do chapters on three and four in the middle of November when I'm back with you. So you can book your winter holiday during that time if you like. Uh, but it has been encouraging to me to read through these chapters of Ruth again and to ponder uh, what they say to us in a world that is, for us, full of change. But which in a profound way was uh, full of change for Ruth as well. We open the first chapter by thinking of her with the title of, it's complicated and life was full of complications and crisis for Ruth. Last week we thought under the heading of I'm committed of how she moved from that very complicated situation, taking the first big step, which was saying, you're my God. The very thing which Israel had forgotten so often that God alone was their God and God alone their king. Uh, but Ruth had grabbed a hold of that truth in her, in her mind and heart. Today we turn to chapter 2, and I want to read the whole of the chapter with you. And our, our title for today is simply, I'm um, blessed. Hard to find a word that describes everything in this chapter, but I felt that word, I'm blessed, was a way of describing how Ruth must have felt at the end of her first big week in Bethlehem. So let's read in Ruth chapter 2, uh, from verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, he answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me, don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. 
watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You've put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I don't have any standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She had all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to the men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. And so Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it'll be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz, to glean until the day the barley and wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Great passage, you might read it and say, first of all, 
what is there a great spiritual significance in a chapter like this? But I hope by the end of this morning you'll go away saying, wow, what a chapter describing how God blesses his people. No wonder our title was, I'm blessed. The word blessed, of course, is a kind of odd word. When I was very, very young, the only two uh, uses of it were, number one, when someone sneezed and everyone said, bless you, for whatever reason I've not yet discovered. And the other was when my grandmother, um, her turn of phrase, if you asked her, well, where's granddad? Well, I'm blessed if I know. Go and look down in the garden and maybe she's down there, maybe he's down there in, the, in the shed or maybe he's down in the greenhouses and I'm blessed if I know. And I'm blessed if I know what that meant either. And then there's a period of time in my life where the only people I ever used the word blessed were believers who talked about God's blessing upon them. The signs and symbols of God's goodness and loving kindness. Nowadays, of course, it got back into favor again. So if you have your friends with you in the merchant hotel, you take a picture of the meal they just set before you and you put it onto social media with a caption, blessed. Or if you're much more active, you go up Cave Hill at sunset and you take a selfie with the sun setting over Belfast Loch and you caption it, blessed. And it seems now that everyone gets blessed in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of situations. So we're going to look today at what it means for us to say that Ruth was blessed. And after that, what does it mean for us to be blessed along life's journey? We're looking at this book in terms of transitioning from one stage to another, an old normal to a new normal. It's a reminder that we are called by God not to come into one place as Christians and stay stuck there forever, but rather we are pilgrims, we're on a journey. If you read Pilgrim's Progress at some stage in your life, you might have picked on all the difficulties and challenges and hardships of Pilgrim on his pilgrim journey from the cross to the throne. But actually, John Bunyan was very good at setting side by side both the challenging, difficult, problematical times on the journey alongside the blessings, the people that Pilgrim met, that did him good, that spoke well to him, that were channels of God's blessing to his life. And that's where we're going to be uh, this morning. We're on a journey, uh, if we are Christians, we're on a journey that involves constant change in life. We can't get rid of that fact. But along that journey, difficult as it is sometimes, God plants his blessing for us to notice and to enjoy. So come with me first of all to my first heading, which is the guarantee of blessing. When Ruth and Naomi left Moab and headed towards Bethlehem and across the Jordan into uh, Judah, uh, they had every reason, humanly speaking, to be apprehensive. What on earth lies before us? How are we ever going to cope 
with getting back into this land that we've been away from for so long, or in Ruth's case, this land that I've never been in in my life. Humanly speaking, they had no guarantees of acceptance amongst the people, no guarantee of welcome, no guarantee of provision for their needs, temporal or spiritual. But actually, there was an underlying guarantee. I think Naomi sensed it in what she says about God and about going back home again. And I think Ruth was beginning to understand what that guarantee was. It's written in the character of God himself. God is a God of loving kindness. So in chapter 1, verse 8, may the Lord show you kindness, just as you've shown to Naomi. Or chapter 2, verse 4, we've just read, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. The Lord show you his loving kindness. And it's worth taking a moment just to go back and say, well, what's in that word, loving kindness? It conveys something much stronger than just being nice to people. Um, Chesed, the Hebrew word, is about covenant-keeping, faithful love. It was God's own decision to be kind, full of loving kindness, steadfast love, is how it's often translated in uh, the Psalms. Even in the psalm we read this morning there, if you go back, the loving kindness of God is mentioned there. The steadfast love of the Lord that endures forever is all in that same word. It's the obligation to be kind to people that God put himself under, willingly and deliberately, when he chose Israel to be his covenant people. So it's not just a nice old man doing an odd turn that's good to somebody. Right behind that word love and kindness, the idea that God has committed himself to be in covenant with people, his people, and never, ever, ever to abandon them in terms of his kindness and his love and his provision for them. So whenever we hit that word in the Old Testament, it's a reminder that God is a covenant-keeping God. God is a good king. And if you hear the first Sunday in Ruth, you'll remember that was a big problem for Israel. They thought, yeah, we can worship God, but we need a human king to lead us and to guide us. Instead of saying, God is a good king who will guide us in all the practicalities of life if we rest and trust in him. For those who honour God, his loving kindness is unconditional. He's guaranteed to bless his covenant people. So when we read through these chapters in Ruth and find the word kindness or loving kindness or blessing, this is what's involved. It's that concept that God of Israel, the God of Naomi's people, was a God who would never, ever quit being good to those who trust and rest in him. One of the ways that God's love and kindness has demonstrated itself in the law was his provision for gleaning in the harvest fields. As far as I know, nowhere even around 
country, County Antrim resist on nowadays, but in those days, the poor, those who had no income, those who were widows, like Ruth and Naomi here, could go into the harvest field, and the farmers weren't allowed to take right round the edges of the field and take everything in their harvest. They're to leave the edges around for the poor and the needy to come and take those bits of grain that were left, glean them, and survive on what they picked up. And that's the picture all the way through this second chapter of Ruth. God's provision for gleaning was one of the provisions for his people of his kindness and love for them. And it reached out, not just to those who were born and brought up in Israel, but even to the foreigners who came and walked past as well. So when we find Ruth out in the fields gleaning, and we'll pick up bits more of her story in a moment or two, it's actually a way of us being told by God through this book that God had received Ruth into his covenant family. She comes as a Moabite, as a foreigner, as a stranger, in fact, one of the enemies, one of the people who's told you can never for 10 generations come into the sanctuary and, and worship God. But here's someone whose heart God has worked in, and she's come into this country, and she's out in the fields, and she's enjoying the blessings of the covenant provision that the God of love and kindness had made for her and for those like her. She'd been accepted by God, although his people were still to understand the role that she's going to play. The guarantee of blessing was not on Ruth's performance as a person, but not on Ruth's behavior or morality. The guarantee rested in the very character and being of a God who was full of steadfast, faithful kindness and love. And sometimes we need to hear again that that's our God. That's our God. His goodness and kindness to us as his people is unconditional. It doesn't come as a result of our morality or our performance or us doing what we want to do and achieve our great goals in life. It's based in his unchanging, glorious, magnificent kindness in his own character and beings, how he is. He's a good, good God. And there's not a day you wake up in life or I wake up in life where we can't be sure that that's our God and he'll be our guide even unto death. That's why if you go back with the songs later on in your time, you'll see how they all slotted together. That sense that God's goodness, his loving kindness, his steadfast love endures forever. And those who are his pilgrims on the road, all the changes and all the difficulties, all the complexities of life, the one thing they can be absolutely sure of is God's covenant kindness, his hesed, 
his steadfast love that endures forever. God's blessings then, or Ruth's blessings, were God's blessings for her, guaranteed to her by his character. But secondly, I want us to think about the channels of that blessing. We don't want to get away from the fact that all of the things that happen in Ruth's life are traceable back to God. Um, this is harvest season if you're in the country, and I dare say up in more today, they were singing all good gifts around us are sent from heaven above. And it's true. And harvest is actually a good time for us to recall that there isn't a gift we have that God hasn't given to us. But he uses channels to direct those gifts towards us. Or I guess we'd say in our current uh, age, he uses different delivery agents. Not DFS or DPD or Amazon Prime, but people to be the channels of his blessing and kindness towards us. And, and this chapter I want to think through with you this morning is actually Ruth realizing how blessed she's been through the channels that God has placed in her path. So Naomi plays her part as she encourages Ruth to go out into the harvest field and glean in the fields. There's not a big deal made about it. It doesn't need to be. Naomi is simply doing what was customary in the country. But her encouragement of Ruth to go and do it is part of God blessing Ruth through the channel of Naomi. The overseer is mentioned. Like the foreman of the workers in the harvest field. And when Ruth comes, as far as she says, she just picked a field at random. And this overseer happens randomly to be there just as she arrives. And she asks this random overseer in this random field, can I please glean in this field? And he says, yeah, go on ahead. But Waz comes along and plays his part he doesn't even know who she is to begin with. But he arrives just that point in time to say, who is she? Finds out who she is, tells him not to harm her, and provides her with the permission to glean, not just then, but for the rest of the harvest period. Promises her protection, tells the men, don't even touch her. Does more than that, provides lots for her with enough to take home extras to her uh, mother-in-law and gives her, if like, a permanent place to the end of the season. So God takes each of these people, what looks like random things and random people in random times, and each of them is a channel of God's blessing to Ruth. Now, if you were my generation, which most of you aren't, uh, you'll remember two songs or more from the long, long, long distant past that were very familiar, that talked about us being channels of God's blessing. One went this way, as your life, a channel of blessing is the love of God flowing through you 
Are you telling the lost to the Savior? Are you ready his service to do? And the servant, the, the chorus went, make me a channel of blessing today. Make me a channel of blessing, I pray. My life possessing, my service blessing, make me a channel of blessing today. I'm not asking you to put up your hand if you remember it, but there's at least half a dozen of you who do. Or there's another song which was Channels Only, Blessed Saviour. How I praise thee, precious Saviour, that thy love laid hold of me. Thou hast saved and cleansed and filled me, that I might thy channel be. Channels only, blessed Master, but with all thy wondrous power flowing through us, thou canst use us every day and every hour. I think those songs fell out of favour because there are words in the songs which seem to suggest that God can only use us when we were 100% pure and perfect. Thankfully, that's not the case. And God can make his channels of blessing out of any of us here this morning. What we shouldn't miss is that God uses people as channels of his blessing. That's his way of operating, his modus operandi. And my guess is each of us could this morning sit back and take the next 10 minutes just thinking of people who through our lifetime God has used to bless us. Someone who just spoke to us a word of encouragement at a time when they didn't even know how down we were. They just came along and said something to us that lifted up our spirit. Someone who thanked us for something we had given or done. And to us it was just a random thing there. Like. But it was actually for that person a, a channel of God's blessing to them. Or just an attitude, you welcome somebody into the church or you welcome somebody into your home or you said hello to somebody or you thank somebody in the shop for doing something and you were a channel of God's blessing to them. You weren't perfect, none of us are, but nonetheless you were available to God to use you in that particular channel of his service. Indeed, maybe during lockdown, for all the things we moan about and complain about. Maybe there's been somebody who's done something for you to, to, to lift your spirits, to calm your fears, to make you feel confident. Those are God's blessings. All good gifts around us come from heaven above through the channels of people that God has placed in your road. We're reminded that God's intention is also that we bring his blessing to other people, that we be channels for other people. Our words and our attitudes and our actions are intended to leave people feeling blessed when we leave them. And there's a challenge and a half, isn't it? When you're at work this week and things are tough, things are unpleasant and you're just waiting for half term weekend you can spend the whole time with your kiddies or your grandchildren um, make sure you leave folks at work feeling that you have blessed them not that you've left a bad taste in their mouths 
when you're chatting to the neighbour and you're both complaining about the person across the road whose garden hasn't been looked after for so long and you know all the things we complain about. Make sure that what you leave them with is not a feeling that, yeah, we're both as bitter as we can possibly be together, but leave them feeling blessed. The challenge for each of us this week is not only to enjoy God's blessings, but to be channels of God's blessings to others. And third, I want us to think about the encouragement of blessing. What does all this do for Ruth? I think the first thing you notice in this chapter is Ruth never quits talking about all the things that have happened to her in that day out into the fields. And and everything she says kind of shows us someone who's just gobsmacked by the way that things have worked out for her. So in verse 10, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? She's talking to Boaz. She doesn't know yet he's related to her in some distant ways through Naomi. All she can get hold of is, how come this field owner has come along here and he's noticed me, a Moabite woman? I just can't understand how that could be. Verse 13, you've put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I don't have the standing of one of your servants. He says, I'm just blowing, I'm just someone who's in the field gleaning as a pauper. And yet you've come and you've chatted to me and you've set my mind and heart at rest. You've blessed me. I just can't take it in. How come he would do that? Well, verse 19, Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one house place she had been working. The name of the man I worked for is Boaz, she said. She still doesn't know the total ramifications of that. She doesn't know what happened in chapters three and four yet. But she's just amazed that she's in that field randomly. She's there at that time with that overseer randomly from a human standpoint. Boaz just happened to come along, the owner of the field at that point in time, randomly it seemed. He noticed her out of all the other people gleaning in the field. He, as Boaz, made advances towards him, finding out who she was and where she was from, and and then all... Why? Verse 21, Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. What a, a sense you get that Ruth has come to the end of that day in the field and she's just gobsmacked. How come all this has happened in this way? She's just amazed at all these kind of random things. What what seems from a human standpoint like coincidences in life that have all knit together to make her life blessed. To make her feel that the God of heaven has kept faith to his covenant and character and done her good 
over and over again. That particular field, that particular overseer, that particular time of the day, Boaz noticing her, Boaz realizing that there was a, a, a connection with her, Boaz remembering that he'd heard about the Moabite who had looked after Naomi following the death of her own husband. Have you ever had a divine coincidence? There's a book written back a long while ago, Divine Coincidence is a brilliant title. Those things which from a human standpoint have no human explanation for them. They're just chance events, coincidences in life. And yet, when you look back upon them, we spot in them the blessing of God. God working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to our, his purposes. Those divine coincidences lift your spirits, don't they? It's why one of the old songs was quite right. Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And if those words are left to one side, never lose that sense that counting our blessing, seeing what God has done, is part of his ministry to us as we make our journey of transition from the old to the new. This wasn't just a chance day in the life of Ruth. This was a formative part of how she would become included in God's eventual and eternal purposes in the times to come. Counting our blessings, spotting those divine coincidences, lifts our spirits and raises our hopes. Well, might we sing, you're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness, I will keep on singing 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. Part of transitioning from old ways to new ways is making sure we spot the blessings that mark the road to home. Long, 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 long time ago, as a teenager living in the west of Scotland, two or three of us as lads would take our bikes from home down to Largs and then cycle back home again about 15 miles each way. And we thought we had conquered the world. Coming back was always more difficult. A, it was uphill. B, we tired out by that time of the day. And along the road, there were milestones. You'll have to ask Ivan uh, what a milestone is, maybe. But they were along the road. Every mile was a milestone. And it said, well, Largs was eight miles behind you. Largs was nine miles behind you. Largs was 10 miles behind you. And the further you went along, every milestone became more and more precious. It showed how far you come, and it showed how close you were to home. And I think that counting our blessings, spotting God's actions are like the milestones along our road as Christians. They show how far God has already brought us and they encourage us to see how close we are to home. Counting blessings, spotting the 10,000 reasons for our heart to rejoice is not just a bypath 
leisurely activity for those who've got nothing else to do. They are a core activity of the Christian life. They are part of God's way of helping us to make the transition from the old into the new. God's blessings are the milestones which show the progress being made, especially when the journey seems long and slow. A word of prayer, and then we'll sing 10,000 Reasons. Lord, we come to you today and we see how appropriate it is for Ruth to say that she was blessed. And that blessing comes in all kinds of forms, all kinds of moments in that day, through all kinds of channels that you used. And we thank you that you are a God whose steadfast love endures forever. Help us, Lord, to find time even today to count our blessings, to see what you have done in our lives and prepare to be a blessing to others in the week that lies ahead. Amen.